Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Steve Eiserman lulled us all into a false sense of security. As if we were only going to record on the weekends and midweeks would be Patreon exclusive. And there was, you know, the, the Debrinket trade was when everyone would just log off, go to their cottages, spend time with their family, you're done. And then uh, random middle of the day, notification comes through from the Red Wings, we've acquired Jeff Petrie. And my first thought was, yeah, nobody was expecting this. So this was the perfect, most Steve Eiserman time to strike. Absolutely. So here we are on a uh, midweek episode, even though it's the off season of the Winged Wheel podcast, but we're not complaining because it's some exciting stuff in off season trade after the big off season trade. Who are we to complain about that? How'd you guys, uh, where were, where were you when the big news broke? Brad, were you driving as usual? No, I was at work this time, but I won't get into the super long backstory about what an absolute insane day at work i had so of course of course of all days yesterday would be the day it happens because i saw your post in the group chat hey petrie to detroit i'm like damn it so i quickly run over to twitter read everything quickly digest it get a tweet out there and then proceed to not look at my phone for the next like six hours yeah that kind of day we had to probably pry evan away from the golf course but uh yeah here we are and let's just get this out of the way now because it's quickly becoming, I think someone has already made the comparison to the, did you know Dylan Larkin and Zach Wierenski were roommates thing? Jeff Petrie is indeed the son of famed Tigers pitcher, Dan Petrie, who also now works for Bally Sports Detroit. Uh, Dan was a uh, pitcher mostly in the 80s for the Tigers and uh, actually helped them win the 1984 World Series. So Detroit roots indeed. Jeff Petrie comes home, Ann Arbor, Ann Arbor native, but is a uh, Michigan State Spartan. So don't get that confused. I got yelled at by some Spartans fans for that one. Uh, so yeah, he comes home, plays for his hometown team. And here we are recording an offseason episode. Folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the Jeff Petrie trade and everything related on this special midweek offseason episode. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, like I mentioned, we're going to be digesting the entire Jeff Petrie trade. We'll talk about uh, what the return was for the Red Wings, give our analysis on it, whether this helps the Red Wings, you know, our perspective on why this move was even made within the context of bringing in Justin Hall and Ben Chirot before him. We'll talk about what this means for Detroit's prospects, the future of the Iser plan, and pretty much anything and everything in between before we get into uh, overtime. Before that, I want to let you know a couple things. Uh, this show is almost entirely supported by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Podcast. If you want to join the so-called Dub Dub Club, uh, they allow us to do everything we do in the show, which includes recording right through the offseason. Even when we you know, take our break, so to speak, we're still recording once a week and twice a week when there's news. They allow us to uh, expand the Winged Wheel Podcast content network with Expected by Whom, a show hosted by Sean Shapiro and Prashant Iyer, and they allow us to support the Jamie Daniels Foundation uh, through events like Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings. So that's all made possible by our patrons. They get a lot of great benefits, which I'll tell you on the other side of the show here, uh, but patreon.com slash Podcast if you want to support the show. 
Speaking of the Jamie Daniels Foundation, Saturday, August 26th at 5.30 p.m. at Motor City Casino is the roast and toast of Thomas Holmstrom and Nicholas Lidstrom presented by Trinity Health. Uh, It's going to be a great, great event. Obviously, Homer and Nicholas Lidstrom will be there, uh, as well as Doc Emmerich, roasters Chris Draper, Ian Bagg, Steve Ott, Jim Ralph, you know, uh, plenty of NHL players. I was talking to Ken. Ken Daniels will be there, of course. It's going to be a fantastic night. Go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org to get your tickets. You'll see us there. Uh, Prashanth is going to be there. It's going to be a fantastic time. We hope to see everyone there. So uh, Saturday, August 26th at 530. It's coming up quickly here. All right. The Jeff Petrie trade came through unexpectedly to most, but we talked about it in previous weeks as uh, Jeff Petrie was part of a trade between Pittsburgh and Montreal where he returned to the team that he was uh, part of for their maybe recent's not the right word, but recent run to the cup that obviously ended up unsuccessful. But the total trade was Montreal acquired from Detroit, Gustav Lindstrom, and a 2025 fourth round pick that's conditional. The condition on that is Montreal receives the later of Detroit or Boston's 2025 fourth round pick. So Detroit gives up the worst of their two fourth round picks in 2025. And in return, Detroit acquires Jeff Petrie, Montreal retained 50% of his retain, uh, remaining salary. There was already some retained by Pittsburgh. So Detroit, in effect, only covers 37.5% of the remaining salary, I believe it is. So it's $2,343,750 cap hit per year for the next two years. So that's the overall trade. First impressions, Brad. Well, to break it down to the simplest of terms that I can... Gustav Lindstrom did not have a long-term future with this team. He has and will likely be a fringe NHLer. The fourth-round pick, I mean, the Red Wings have such a stable full of prospects at this point. I don't think fourth-round picks, fifth-round picks are anything of substance to this organization going forward. And Jeff Petrie is coming back fairly cheap on a two-year contract. Again, like you said with the math, a lot of salary retained, so he's... He's coming in at a good cap hit. This was a short-term upgrade on third pair right D, maybe even second pair if all things goes right. This is a guy who is better than Gustav Lindstrom. Plainly put, they upgraded for a fourth-round pick. That's that's all this is. They upgraded a spot on D for a fourth-round pick. Yeah, when it came through and I saw Gustav Lindstrom going the other way, it was a little bit of a surprise, honestly, as I already mentioned. But I thought, okay, now Detroit has another NHL body who can play right D, who isn't a liability. And I'll say to Gustav Lindstrom's credit, I think on that third pair for Detroit or as the seventh defenseman, at times it was pretty rough last season. Like Lindstrom Hag, that was a, a black hole for the most part. But they did pick it up at points and it, they it, he did bring it back up to, I'd say, sufficient for small periods of time, it was a little bit up and down for him. But your assessment's not wrong, Brad. For as much as I, and I did this intentionally almost, uh, part, partially to piss you off and partially because, you know, it's all we really could talk about. I made a meal of how much Lindstrom could be, and it was never more than a third pairing. If Lindstrom stuck in Detroit, it wouldn't be more than a third pairing everyday guy. That's not what he really amounted to. He's still young, and, and the change of scenery could provide some benefit in that regard. But yeah, with Lindstrom going the other way, Detroit giving up a, I don't want to call it a throwaway pick, every asset's an asset, but a very low, low value pick, especially one that they have multiple of. I can't, in a vacuum, I like the trade. And 
think about how crazy that is. We're talking about a guy who's not young anymore. What is he, 35 now? Uh, yeah, he's 35. He'll be 36 by, you know, uh, next offseason. I don't really hate uh, the trade at all for Detroit. I think it provides them with the kind of depth that they need where in case of injury, in case, you know, the lineup gets shaken up and someone needs a new partner or whatever it might be, you're no longer putting out someone who is below NHL average or below replacement value uh, or level value on defense. So, yeah, your assessment's right, Brad. There's a lot of people up in arms for one reason or another. I couldn't really quite figure it out. I think we're just starved for news about this move. And why would you bring in Jeff Petrie? It costs you next to nothing in the grand scheme of things. He actually has value for the team now, and he could have value in a deadline later. So, yeah, I mean, am I going to go running down the street, you know, streaking with a jersey waving above my head over the trade? No, but I think it was a fine trade, and it, it bolsters Detroit's depth. Yeah, like you said, it cost them nothing. And at the end of the day, they've marginally improved at defense with this move. So you can't be too upset. And I think with a move like this, it makes it pretty obvious obvious that Gustav Lidstrom did not have uh, a long a long future on this team. With the fact that Lindstrom just recently signed and obviously the Petri trade came recently, this does seem like something that was kind of cobbled together pretty... Like, this isn't something that they've been working on for months, right? Like, this is just striking while the iron's hot. Eisenman saw an opportunity in the market while Petrie was available. Petrie was a player that Detroit was kind of involved in in terms of rumors, both unsubstantiated and rumors that we were able to substantiate for quite a while now. A lot of this is the fact that he's, you know, that Detroit is his hometown team. Never mind the, the connection with his father playing for the Tigers. Obviously, he was, you know, born in Ann Arbor, played for the Spartans. Uh, this is a this is him coming home and he's wanted to, he said in his press conference today, like Detroit was his number one spot, obviously happy to come here. And Detroit was had a need for him to various degrees over time. So even though he's not in his heyday anymore, it was kind of like a good match made. I should say that Jeff Petrie does come with a modified no trade clause and a no move clause so that he can submit a um, a 15 team no trade list. So that's what Detroit's working with. So anytime we bring up, oh, he could be flipped at the deadline, it does come with the caveat that nearly half the league that he can submit uh, a no trade list for. So that's the trade in general. Again, his cap hit for the next two years is 2.34375, whatever you want to make of that. Not very much. Uh, he's He takes up 2.8% of the cap right now, and it's just for a couple of seasons. That's Jeff Petrie. That's what they gave up for him. Who is Jeff Petrie as a player, and what value does he bring to the lineup right now? Well, the important thing is he brings at least $2.3 million worth of value, because that was the thing with uh, Jeff Petrie last year was that he had regressed, and he was no longer worth his you know $6 million contract, whatever it was. And I think most people would agree with that. He was still useful, but not worth that. You know, he's about a half a point per game defenseman, maybe a little less now. Still a very capable puck mover, still a very smart defenseman, still a pretty good skater for his age, actually. So even though Lindstrom's significantly younger, the Red Wings are probably upgrading in the skating department here, which I know is going to be a big plus to Derek Lalonde's system. And they're getting someone behind Mo Sider who shoots right that isn't a black hole with the puck you know with all due respect to Justin Hole and and we defended him a little bit when the contract was signed he's not an offensive guy 
Jeff Petrie can be that guy and he's not devoid defensively. He's not the player he used to be. So we're not sitting here and saying the Red Wings are getting, you know, 20, 21, you know, Stanley Cup final run Jeff Petrie. But he's not so far beyond that that they're not going to get value out of him. But ultimately, for everything he provides at both ends of the ice, especially with the puck on his stick, this is, again, a significant upgrade from what Gustav Lindstrom was bringing to the team. So I think that this, at worst stabilizes all three defensive pairings because like you said Lindstrom and Hag were an absolute black hole for most of the season and when you had to specify that yeah there were stretches where they were sufficient when that's the upside uh, there's room for improvement lots of room for improvement so I don't know how they're going to pair this up they have seven capable NHL defensemen now I don't think Petrie's the worst of those seven so it's going to be super interesting to see who Starts in the press box night one, barring any injuries. But yeah, I, I think I think this is a really smart move because Jeff Petrie is a type of defenseman that I don't want to say the Red Wings don't have, but he's a little more refined at it. So the lineup right now, what are we projecting here? Because it's probably going to be Wallman Sider, obviously, on the first pair. Is it still going to be Sherratt and Hall in the second pair? You don't know because it, it really just depends on what they God, think. I of. hope not. Well, oh okay, God. I'm putting it out there. I think you're going to get Sherrod Hall at some point. You're going to have to. Oh, I know. I know. Um, and the entertainment factor for the other 31 teams in the league is going to be very high. Uh, the entertainment factor for us is also going to be very high, but the anxiety might uh, overwhelm the entertainment factor. So let's, for the sake of, of hypothesizing here, Walman Sider, Sherrod Hall, Mata, Petrie Gosses bears the seventh man is Mata the odd man out. I have a hard time. Like a lot Mata is the name that comes up for a lot of people, but I have a hard time assigning him as the odd man out because he is such a stabilizing force on this team. The pneumonia he had last year did really take it out of him and it took him a while to get up to, back up to speed. But if he's at full health and he's really going at the, the kind of same solid defensive play he had last season, it's probably going to be dictated by whoever's, not up to scratch at camp and or injuries at this point. And it's not a young group back there. Like there's quite a bit of aware on those tires. And so you you are going to get injuries and guys needing rest and things like that. But as of right now, Detroit has their first pair and then a bunch of guys who can all, you know, fill in on the second pair, but really are you know, third pair, maybe the seventh guy. It's going to be hard to decide. They're all NHLers. I will say that's a, it's a substantial change. Evan called it a marginal improvement, and he's right in the scheme of the entire team, but it is adding another solid NHLer that you would have to find justification to take out of the lineup. Well, obviously, the obvious point here is he's a sh- he shoots right. He's a natural righty. So now, for the most part, you've got to assume the right side for most of the year, barring injury and rest and all that, will be cider, petrie, hole in some order. So that's a tick in Petrie's favor. And if you look at the left side, I mean, lowest paid defenseman would be Mata. So if that's an indication of how the organization and everybody feels about them, that he might be the odd man out there. What I think is ultimately going to happen here, even like without talking about injuries, which obviously are going to happen. This is a really old ass D group. Like the only two young defensemen on this group are on the top pair. So... And they're not coming out of the lineup at all. 
So it might not be a bad idea to just run a rotation of the other five guys just to keep everybody fresh and healthy. Like you don't want to bank on an injury. You don't want an injury to solve a roster problem. You want five healthy guys contributing. Cause again, it's worth remembering and it's worth mentioning good teams. Their seventh defenseman in a press box over the last 10 years has been better than the Red Wings, like number four defenseman. So having seven passable to good NHLD is normal. This is what we've been wanting for a long time. So as weird as it would be to see a Mata or a Petrie or a Sherratt in the press box, it had to happen at some point. Otherwise, what are we doing here? Right? So I don't know where they're going to feel this one out because, you know, Mata seems like the easy choice to be the guy to sit out, but also, you know how NHL teams are in familiarity. They've got a full season with Mata under their belt. Derek alone do- hasn't got Justin Hole in his system. Hasn't got Shane Gostisbehere. Hasn't got Jeff Petrie. He doesn't, he's not familiar with these guys. So there might be one of them who just doesn't mesh in this system. And all of a sudden the decision gets really easy, really fast. But yeah, I, I don't think the lineup implications here are too severe because you know, Lindstrom was only re-signed because, well, they needed someone, especially a right shot. And then, you know, they upgraded. So the dynamic is the same. And ultimately, I think it ends up in some kind of rotation. I have a hard time believing that Shane Goss's pair comes in, gets paid $4 million, and he plays on the bottom pair. So I imagine he'll be in the top four. And yeah, when you guys hint on familiarity, uh, Oli Mata played 78 games last year, so I also find that hard to believe that he'll be out of the lineup, you know. Jeff Peche may be the seventh guy right now. I think it all comes down to chemistry at camp, how guys kind of get through camp in terms of wear and tear, because you know somebody always gets hurt. I don't think anybody's really bolted into this lineup other than the top pairing. So at this point, I, I, I think it could go any sort of way. And I really don't feel one way or another about how it goes you're right it's it's kind of silly to try to predict what's going to happen off-season injuries training camp injuries whoever's going to stand out it could be some kind of pairing that meshes for no particular reason but all of a sudden you know Mata Gostaspera is akin to Mata Hronik last year well it's a wait and see situation and it's one of those situations wherein there's no guy where you're like, yes, Detroit absolutely needs to get this guy in. It's not as if Simon Edvinson is going to be fully healthy and with all the rust shaken off or there's a guy who's over-ripening in, in the AHL and he needs to play for the Red Wings this year. No, this is a bunch of NHLers who are good NHLers or at the very least worthy of a roster spot and are going to have to out-compete each other. And it's going to be based on health or merit. And that's what training camp is for. And that's the way Eiserman has run and Derek Lalone actually have, has run his... Uh, it's training camp and his lead up to the season the entire time. So yeah, we'll see what happens on that. Talking about Petrie's value to the team, you know, Brad, you raised a really good point. His salary was retained on twice first by Pittsburgh, where they retained 50% of the salary and then, or sorry, 25% of the salary. And then Montreal retained another 50% of it. So Jeff Petrie's cap hit is obviously, you know, just a shade under 2.35, but his actual contract is a $6.25 million cap hit four year deal. And there's two years left on it so that's 
the makeup of his contract now and we talk about, oh yeah, you can flip him at the deadline and that's, you know, some kind of value for the Red Wings in case they do want to move him at this trade deadline or next, not counting the 15 team, no trade list, but also remember that Detroit can no longer retain on that contract. The CBA stipulates that a contract can only have two teams retaining on it. So Pittsburgh has retained, Montreal has retained. There's no more salary retention that can happen on that contract. So that's important to remember. That's Petrie's, you know, what he's going to bring to this team and where he's going to fit into the lineup. Brad, you raised the point of he's a right shot. And so he has some security that way. And, you know, the Red Wings need that at either second or third pair. Does any part of this also scream to you? You need a viable, another viable right shot defenseman that's not a black hole until Axel Sandin Pelica comes in. I don't know if I'm looking that far down the road, but yes. I mean, we talked about it the second Hrona got traded. Like the the hole was obvious uh, that he left behind, and there was no immediate need. You know, make what you want about Justin Hole's contract, but Justin Hole is at least a viable NHL defenseman, so that solved one problem. But there was still another hole to fill on that side. Petrie solves that, so it's a more complete D. The thing is, the Red Wings' defensive dynamic right now, and kind of getting into the more big picture of it, is really weird because the only defenseman on the Red Wings who's what I would consider very close to NHL ready, if not NHL ready already is Edmondson and he's hurt to start the year. So they needed bodies just to be able to play the first part of the season. And then obviously you got to assume Edmondson's going to rehab a bit. So he's probably not looking at regular NHL minutes till mid season at best. And that's assuming he's even playing well in his rehab stint. And that's assuming there's even a spot for him to play anymore. I don't think a year in Grand Ra- another year in Grand Rapids is the end of the world for Edmondson. But, you know, if he takes a spot from a guy, he takes a spot from a guy. Here's the thing with the Red Wings bottom 5D. They're all expendable, every one of them. We are not attached to any of them in any way. And if they jettisoned one of them to Arizona tomorrow, nobody cares. They're good defensemen. It's the best decor the Red Wings have had in a while. I know that's not saying much. But it is at least, but they're expendable. And, you know, Albert Johansson, maybe a year away. Sandine Pelica, maybe two, three years away. Wallinder, one year away. But again, circling back to the point that I just made, it's Wallman, Cider, and five guys. If our prospects in a year, two years, three years, again, I know you referenced Sandine Pelica and whatever his timeline ends up being, if they're not beating these guys, at their age with one and two years left on their contracts respectively for a spot, we got a bigger problem. So I'm not super worried about the current dynamic as it is. Um, I'm just more worried about making sure our prospects can take those spots when they are ready. You mentioned that this is just adding, you know, another body to a roster that's not getting a lot of push from behind, which is funny. We'll, we'll get to the prospects like addressing that point in a second. But yeah, this is just, as we mentioned at the top of the show, Detroit bolstering the depth again in case of injury again so they can roll out three competent pairs. Are they? Is this the best defensive core that the Red Wings have had top to bottom in a long time? Yeah. Is that a little bit of a sad statement? Very. Let's be honest. It's not. This isn't a world-beating defense, but you can now see the sum of these parts and say, okay, these guys can come out and on a decent night play respectable defense. Are there going to be bad nights? Absolutely. A hundred percent. This is not going to be, you know, a top 
20 top, or sorry, this isn't going to be like a top third of the NHL defensive core, but for the most part, you should have what you need to roll out sufficient to roll out passable to roll out. If things go well, somewhere maybe near league average are those aspirations or is that bar very high no but you know the, it's an iterative approach to the rebuild we've talked about this before detroit hasn't had the lottery luck where they can just you know insert rasmus Dahlin in there they had to have the draft prowess to get most cider in there and you know thankfully they added sandy and pelica and edvinson but they're not here yet so this is just creating a respectable defensive core in the meantime with the prospects, you mentioned, Brad, that because of Edvinson's shoulder surgery and he, depending on how he rehabs that, he might not be ready for the year. Johansson still probably a year away. Will Linder, we'll see what he does this year. He could, you know, speed run and be knocking on the door by the end of the year. He could need another season after this next one in the AHL. Detroit does have a lot to work with in terms of defensive prospects. And I do think at some point in the future, they're going to need to make decisions. But I'm not concerned about what they could be. They have flexibility on defense. You know, there's buyouts if things get dire. You talk about the Ben Chirot contract. You talk about Olimato, whatever. If you really need to get someone in and you can't trade those guys, yeah, absolutely. Buyout if you need to. Dump for cheap assets if you need to. But with how much crowding there is, I do think there is going to need to be a move made. Not this season, unless Edmondson comes in and kicks down the door again, but eventually. But it, you're right, Brad, and I don't think it's emergent right now. Yeah, and again, outside of Edmondson, I'm not expecting anything for this season, and we don't know how he's going to rehab, so that might not even be a factor in this season. The Red Wings do have a huge problem in the sense that this is a very old team for a team coming out of a rebuild, but that's more so a result of just that's the way the luck broke throughout this all. And Iserman had to get some bodies in here. So, you know, he had to play the hand he was dealt and this is the best he could do with it. And I don't think there was a ton of alternatives, especially with Detroit having a tough time luring free agents, the lack of a trade market, et cetera, et cetera. There really wasn't a path that was going to do much better than this. And the lack of the high picks, like the truly elite picks, like you obviously mentioned, Rasmus Dahlian has created this dynamic of a lot of what ifs. You know, the Red Wings, again, we, we've we made this point a million times. It's not fair to put this on a group of 18, 19, and 20-year-olds, but the Red Wings need most of their prospects to hit, which is statistically unlikely. And not only do they need to hit, a, lot, a few of them need to hit right near their absolute ceiling in order for this to turn around. So if we're sitting here next season, next off season, I'll say after watching another, let's say year of Edvinson, Willinder, Sandine Pelica, uh, Albert Johansson in the AHL and in Europe. And we go, yeah, I don't think any of them are going to kick the door down to push, you know, Justin Hole or Oli Mata or Jeff Petrie out of a spot. This organization has a massive problem. I, I won't even care. Like the conversations about Petrie, Hole, Sherratt, Mata won't even matter because this organization has a significant problem. Now, again, this is all hypothetical. Sandine Pelica looks great. Evanson looks great. Willinder looks great. Albert Johansson looks great. Like they all are coming off good years. So we, we don't have reason to believe we're going to be sitting here next summer with this problem, but we better not be sitting here next summer with this problem because again, you have Wallman cider and then five very replaceable players 
who are all going to have two or less years on their contract left next summer. So there is going to be nothing preventing one of these guys or two of these guys from stealing a spot next summer, provided they earn it. I think it's, I think the defensive core is actually positioned quite well to pivot when necessary so let's say you know Edvinson's a world beater in the AHL this year it's like okay we gotta get this guy up for the last half of the season well Shane Gossespierre's got one year on his contract you eat a little bit of that you can easily move him if he's having a decent year Mata and Petrie have two years left if next year you know Axel's hand Dean Pelica has just exploded it's like okay we can move one of those or just wave them I actually don't hate the positioning that this that the the prospects and the current decor have in terms of their contract structures. Yeah, let's let's start to really have this conversation about the so-called Iser plan. I know there was some discussion about it, but in terms of that plan, this to me falls in line with what Eisman has been doing for a little while now. No lottery luck. He said he wasn't going to tear it all the way down, which would involve trading pretty much anyone other than Raymond Insider. And that included Larkin. Eisenman obviously didn't go that direction. Larkin was extended, kept him, and is going the iterative route where he tries to make this team better slowly, teach a winning culture, you know, may understanding that it's not going to happen overnight, but make sure that this team has what it needs to slowly kind of get better. And you can't predict the future. You don't know what players are going to kind of get out of the draft. You don't know what trade or signing opportunities are going to have, but just constantly chopping at the bit to try to improve. Sometimes you can take big swings like Alex to which is what he did. And sometimes you're going to have to make smaller moves to bring in guys like Jeff Petrie. Now this comes with the big context and it was, it was put forward by a lot of people. I think very justifiably to say, okay, you brought in Justin Hall last year. You bought, brought in Ben Sherratt this year. You're bringing in Jeff Petrie. Like, to varying degrees, those are middling players. And some of them are middling on the wrong end of the spectrum. And some of them still have, you know, a, a good amount of value left, depending on what kind of contract you sign them to or what you gave up for them in a trade, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that is a fair criticism of this to say we understand you can't, you know, magic your way to a lottery win. You understand you you, you can't force Buffalo to trade Rasmus Dahlin to you for a bag of pucks, but is this really the solution? And so in terms of the Iser plan, you know, my answer to that is I, I have no problem with folks who criticize the path that he's taken. I just think that with a, a fork in the road of you either trade Larkin and strip it all the way down to really try to suck for the Connor Bedard year, which he didn't do, or you just build around what you have and you figure it out as you go. You just had to pick one path or the other. And this to me is sticking to the path of what he's done the entire time. Are there moves I disagree with in there? Yeah, of course. But this isn't some kind of flashpoint, like the Petri trade isn't some kind of flashpoint where, oh, the Iser plan is failing and he's only bringing in bums. To me, this is no much more than a depth move. And if you're going to have criticisms about Steve Eisenman's rebuild plan, then it really goes back to when he decided to keep Larkin. I might be getting too thinking too big picture here, but I just don't see how this is an indication that things are failing in Detroit. No, because for me, the argument comes down to what are the alternatives? What was the other option? And for me, you know, if the info we have is to be believed about the Red Wings really struggling to lure good free agents, you know, do I like the cop 
Comfer, Hole, Sherat contracts? No, not at all. Did Eisenman have better options? From the sounds of it, also no. So the only other path here was to keep tanking. You know, if people want to argue, maybe because of all the, you know, un- unlucky streaks they've had, especially with the draft lottery and everything else. And obviously, let's not forget the absolute hole that Eisman was left uh, when Ken Holland left. Could the justification have been made to maybe tank for another year or two? Yeah, I can hear that argument. I'm not sure if I lean that way or not, but that might have been the play. Because, you know, is this team different? And is this team significantly upgraded if instead of drafting Marco Casper, or I should say different, is the outlook different instead of having Marco Casper and Nate Danielson it ended up being let's say Logan Cooley and Adam Fantilli yeah that's an argument that might be worth having that might have been objectively the right play it would have come at the cost of our mental health and every last shred of it (laughs) but but for the long-term future that might have been the play but if you were in the camp of yeah, no, the Red Wings have to hit the gas pedal eventually. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, were there guys, would I have given Justin Hole that contract? No. Would I have given Ben Sherratt that contract? No. Would I have been far happier just not filling those holes and not having those contracts? Yes, that's how I would have played it. But if there were no better better options and Eisman wanted to hit the gas, okay, whatever. It's not the end of the world. There's stop gaps. This entire rebuild and coming out of it, more importantly, comes down to the prospects. If Edvinson and Casper and Danielson and Cindy and Pelica and, you know, all these guys we've talked about at length don't become at least close to what we think they could be. Here's the unfortunate reality. None of this matters because you're going to have to go into another rebuild because the foundation isn't here right? It's scary to think about. Nobody wants to put that thought in their head, but that's the reality. If this group of prospects, obviously this factors insider Raymond, you know, because they're young enough. If that doesn't form a competitive core, it doesn't matter because Eisenman showed with the Debrinka trade, when the option is on the table, he will take the swing. He will pay the price. Next summer's UFA, maybe one of them goes, hey, Detroit, you know what? That might be a destination again after all. And Eisman signs him and we're talking about a whole different dynamic here. But that hasn't happened in a long time. And those options have not been providing themselves very often. That's why we sat here the episode before the Debrinket trade. Overpaying for Debrinket is better than no Debrinket at this point because what are the alternatives? So again, the Iser plan, my nitpick of it is I don't love the players he picked to fill the gaps, but it's just gaps. So yeah. I'm not going to be super broken up about it. You know, in, in keeping with the theme of me having terrible analogies, it's like you're renovating a room and you've stripped it down to the studs and, you know, you're taking a break and you're sitting on folding chairs, eating pizza, and you're being criticized for how your folding chairs look in the room doesn't matter. That's not the end room. That's not the furniture you're going to have in there. That's not the design of the space. It's not a perfect one-to-one because yes, how much you spend on the guys to fill the gaps and what they're actually doing for the team and 
you know, are they moving the needle in the right way for you? That does matter. And it's not to say that Eiserman can be is faultless and can do no wrong. That's, you know, that's not the kind of show this is. We'll always try to look at things objectively. And like Brad offered up, like there's contracts that fall into various parts of the spectrum of how much you like it and how much it's worth losing your hair over. Evidently, I'm on the only one of the three of us who's losing hair. But yeah, it, this isn't really what matters long term for the team. So overall, I think the the larger discussion of you know what's Steve Eisenman doing and what's his vision here, it's as it has been for a long time now. And I think you can, if you want to have a criticism of this trade, if you want to have a criticism of whatever contract, all well and good. You know, that's that's fair to do to varying degrees for these guys. But me personally, I like the trade in a vacuum. And overall, this is just, you know, Eiserman's status quo. So I, again, I really don't want this to come across as you're not allowed to criticize Steve Eiserman. That's not it at all. But it's just, I don't see why this is, you know, the the bat that's being used to to smack the, the Red Wings rebuild. Things will look a lot different had they been drafting first, second, or third in a lot of different years. And I'll say credit to the, to the team, you know, Eisenman, his scouting staff, you know, the entire front office, they've made up for a lot of lost picks in terms of falling down the draft lottery order by drafting, you know, Lucas Raymond, by drafting Mo Sider. Things could have been even worse now. Overall impressions. Let's say the trade itself as it is for Detroit right now. Don't consider prospects, you know, pulling away from the Eiser plan conversation. What do you grade the trade just for the sake of doing some trade grades here? I mean, it's an upgrade at a low cost. Uh, you know, not that I think Petrie's a world beater. I'll give it an A. Like, you know, again, Petrie doesn't change it, but if we're looking at just the trade, he upgraded, in my mind, significantly for very little cost. You know, it's a two-year stopgap, but if you're going to have a two-year stopgap, might as well have a much better player there. So I I take it as a win. I'll give it a M for mid because we basically just traded a mid player for another mid player. But I guess if you zoom in to the atomic level, you improve incrementally, atomically. I don't know. It's fine. Jeff Petrie's better than Gustav Lindstrom. It's two years. It costs nothing. It, it it's okay. Everyone will be okay. Yeah, it's fine. Everyone's going to be okay. I give it a B plus. The only reason it doesn't go into a territory for me is just because I think, you know, Jeff Petrie is a 35 year old player at the tail end of his career. You don't know how he's going to trail off if he's going to be able to hold his own in terms of uh, value on the ice later in his career. So you can't, in my mind, you know, call it a big needle mover, but yeah, it's an improvement over Gustav Lindstrom. They used a a pick that they had plenty of to improve at a position. It bolsters their depth. The drawbacks, he does have a 15-team no-trade list in case they do want to move him. And, you know, he's he's at the tail end of his career. But that's it. I, I, I think it's a good deal. They improved. Again, I understand the criticisms of, okay, you just added Schrott, Hull, Petrie. What are you doing with the defense? But as, you know, we articulated earlier and as Brad very eloquently put, which he almost never does any time in life, this isn't what matters. This is just fluff compared to what the actual issue at hand is. And I don't even want to call it an issue for what's actually substantial, which is how are the prospects going to land. So all that aside, yeah, I B plus. And I don't I, I don't discount Brad for giving it an A. I think in a vacuum, yeah, it's a good deal. The Red Wings improved. Plus, offseason trades, that's fun. That almost never happens. And Detroit got two this year. Detroit was the 
only topic du jour in the NHL on two different offseason days of the summer. That's fun. The Red Wings are becoming relevant again. Evan, don't uh, don't take any tea time for granted. You might get pulled off the course at any moment. At any moment with Steve Eisman at the helm. Yeah, I'll be rushing off as fast as I can. Yeah, with how you're playing, you actually should be. I should be. You're right. All right, folks, uh, we're going to jump into overtime here. It is a shorter episode, and as you'll probably have heard, this is a remote episode, but it's late at night. Brad's puppy is harassing him, and uh, Evan is currently yawning directly into his mic- into his microphone, so it's yep. about time. Uh, overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash podcast. if you want to support the show. It allows us to do all the things that we talked about at the top of the show, the benefits you get. Oh, hi, Roxy. For those watching on YouTube, there's a little puppy, bonus puppy for you there. Oh, my God. She's huge, man. She's like the size of you. Oh, yeah. She's uh, she's she's growing fast. Hey, pups. The benefits that the patrons get, you get access to our Patreon-exclusive Discord, which is an awesome community. Plenty of channels to talk about hockey and non-hockey related. You also get access to our Patreon-exclusive overtime episodes, which record right after these main ones. In addition to that, you're automatically entered into all of our giveaways. Last season, we gave away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game. The vast majority of them going to our Patreon supporters, and we'll be doing the exact same thing this year. So again, that is patreon.com slash podcast if you want to support the show. Let's take some questions and comments here from our patrons. Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy says, I was a fan of the trade for Petrie since I believe he's a slight upgrade over Lindstrom. Shoots right, is from Ann Arbor, Michigan boy, and has a short contract slash good AAV. After all the retention, this makes Mata or Sherratt the odd one out on the left side. If it's me, Sherratt sits. Keep up the good work as always, Dub Dubs. Looking forward to seeing some, if not all of you, next week. So something that's a little bit of a an idea forming in my head is let's say everyone stays healthy and you know, these guys really stick on the roster is Sherratt the odd one out in case the Red Wings have to trade someone have to, you know, buy out a contract or whatever it is. Well, it depends how you look at this from a couple angles. If we're just talking about who sits in the press box. Yeah. He'd be my pick. You know, I, I know that's harsh, but I just, I like Goss and Mata more. So he he'd be the guy that I would like to spend most of the time in the press box versus the rest of them. Obviously, I know the rotation is still the best option, but we've watched a full year of Ben Schrott and we didn't love it. In terms of if they move somebody, that's a different dynamic because I don't think Schrott's contract's movable, at least not without retention, which which is possible. His cap hit makes a buyout not the most ideal option. You probably take someone with shorter term, less dollars. But again, performance will have a lot to do with that. So I I think it's a little more complicated than just saying he is the weakest link of the seven because he also carries the highest cap hit of the five that are in this conversation. So there is that crux. All right, next comment here from Highly Illegal Hartford Fishing Operation. It says, defensive log jam aside, isn't it better to have the quality player like Petrie on the roster than let the cap space sit? At some point, a few of these acquisitions will get flipped when the younger talent pushes through, creating future upside. Seems like we can't afford to save cap and wait for high-value signings. I, I think that's another thing that maybe we didn't talk about enough is in terms of the cap space, Detroit still has some. I'm not a proponent for just burning it for no reason. I do like if you're not a team that's pushing for the playoffs and you don't spend just to spend. It's just like real life. But 
if you have a hole in the roster and you can spend a little bit, and that's really all Detroit spent was a little bit, like the difference was minuscule to improve on the roster. Like, yeah, the point is not to have the most cap space. The point is to win the most hockey games. And is Jeff Petrie going to be eight points in the uh, extra at the end of the year? No, that's not the kind of difference he's going to make to a team, but he should reduce the amount of liability on defense. So yeah, I think that's a good point. Okay, question here from the gyms. It says, here's an off-season equipment question for the greatest hockey pod on the planet. What curve would you recommend for a beer league defenseman that likes to jump into the play? I feel like they should make a stick just for defense. You should get a square toes stick. Hey, get look. A nice square toe. Square toes are amazing. I will not hear the slander, man. I miss my old Nike Apollo. A Nike Apollo, great stick. I uh, can't believe you ruined that thing with a square toe. I mean, great for picking pucks up off the boards. Absolutely useless for every other aspect of the game of hockey. Do you think it was a coincidence Heronic popped off this year once he got rid of it? No, it was. You're not wrong. It was was only good for picking pucks up off the board. Everything else was, dude, trying to take like a shot that rolls off your blade was so bad with that stick. Like the way kids are taught to shoot now is you load on the toe and then let it go. Like you can't do that with that stick, at least not fully effectively. Like, I don't know there isn't really a defensive specific curve and the way someone shoots has so much to do with the curve. I just to be safe recommend everybody to like a P92. So P92 Bauer, P29, CCM, WO3 Warrior. It's all the same curve. It's the most common curve in the NHL and it's the most well-rounded curve. You get enough of a curve and enough at the toe that you can really load up and let it go. You get enough of the backhand that it's not useless to you. It's it's just kind of the really good jack of all trades curve while still giving you a big enough curve to actually, you know, utilize the the toe and go. Joshua Bazura, a longtime patron, Joshua, great to hear from you, says, if you guys could have any of the following back right now, which would it be? One, red seats at the LCA. Two, hockey town at center ice. Three, the Joe Lewis Arena Gullhorn, or four, the Wicked Blackout slash Spotlight combo we had after the Wings scored for a brief period a couple of years ago. I actually went to one game while we had those lights, and it was so excited to see them. We got shut out by Carolina. <laughs> Which of the four would this, you want? This isn't a question. It's the Gullhorn. It's absolutely it is, the Gullhorn. It's absolutely the Gullhorn. I, I under I appreciate that they tried to replicate it in the new arena. It failed. It sucks. Find something different if you can't go back to the OG. AJ Voss says, I know pe- uh, a lot of people went meh at the Petri news, but I personally am extremely pumped. I grew up in Des Moines uh, area with, in, with season tickets to the, to the Des Moines Buccaneers and some of my best hockey memories involved them, including their 2006 championship run, which featured Jeff Petrie. So I'm ecstatic that a member of that team finally made their way to Detroit. Do you guys have any NHLers that you cheered for when they were in junior that you'd love to see in the winged wheel? I'm a big you know, growing up a fan watching Windsor Spitfire, the Windsor Spitfires win their Memorial Cups, I wanted Ryan Ellis on the Red Wings so badly. And I know that ship has sailed. He's just not at that point in his career. But Ellis's cannons from the blue line were legendary in the OHL. And I would have loved to see him in the winged wheel. I'll take one John Gibson. Yeah, I was going to say, if we're just picking favorite players from the local junior team, John Gibson would be a great goalie pick. Honestly, Donovan Sabrango was one of them for me, so that kind of sucked. If we're just going relatively recently, as in still active, God, I would have loved to have seen Gabe Landeskog on the Red Wings. 
two, number two overall pick was the captain of Kitchener when he got drafted. The guy was like a 16-year-old fighting 21-year-olds and winning, meanwhile, putting up a ton of points. Yeah. I I love Gabe Landeskog. I was so upset when he ended up in Colorado. Yeah, he's he's a player you love to hate, and you absolutely love him on your team. Norris Sider says, what threshold points-wise would you set for Raymond to consider this upcoming season a success? Uh, I would say maybe around 65. I'm going to say, what did he have in his rookie season? 57? 57, yeah. I'm going to say 57. Yeah, you want him to, to just surpass that total. I'd say 57. I, I want to see the, the 20 goals, 30 assists threshold again. I would like to see him beat his his rookie season point totals. I'll say 59 and a half. I would like yeah. to see him improve over his rookie season. He okay. now has entering his third year in the NHL. Okay. Well, this is, like I said, a late night episode. We're going to get into recording our overtime episode now, but why don't we take this opportunity to wrap up? Thank you folks for tuning into this surprising midweek edition of the winged wheel podcast. Uh, really appreciate you all of you tuning in to all of our listeners, new and old welcome to anyone who found the show through the Petri news. Welcome to the show to all of our patrons. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, everything you do means the world to us, to all our name level supporters, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah ground foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Raymond's missing tooth icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Keenan O'Donohue, Yanni Burger's Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, on behalf of the Mooseheads, I apologize for Firk, Zadina, and probably McIsaac, Croner's Left Knee, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Babe Landiscog, Buck the Suckeyes, Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Carzone 13, Sizen High Five, Clip Clop, Nene, Connor Scovey, Cooking with Kosa, Coyote Season Tickets and Anywhere But Tempe, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Exquisitine Buble Schwinslow, Give Blood Fight Probert, Golf Isn't Even That Fun, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, RA, Red Three, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Scree and Lube, Brian Vasha, That's What I Appreciate About You, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, X Gonna Give It To You, Iser Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Detroit Red Guys fan, Adam Rose, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheesebags, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Prida, Darren Fick, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, Henrik Robert Deeks, I'm from Waterloo where the vampires hang out, Instructions Unclear, Cheesebag No Longer Fresh, James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans Derogatory, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hall, Matt K. Cannon Fodder of the Cheesebag Army, Maximilian, Max Baltman's Secret Gruff Sparty Tattoo, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, Ophelia, Stephen Tatarsas, The Hodag, The Hat 123, Winging It in San Diego, Wings Fan in Alaska, and your second favorite patron. Thank you folks so much, and we'll talk to you at our scheduled time on Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.